Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach. Always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I'm married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then. And you're really reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? Hi there. I am Carol Jurgensen Sheets, and I am so glad to be with you a week after July 3rd. You know, you may have noticed that I did a replay of uh, the holiday primarily because I decided I was just going to relax. I hardly ever do that, but I picked a fabulous show, so I hope you got to hear it. And tonight, I'm really excited to be interviewing Leah Guy. You know, Leah Guy is this intuitive, transpersonal healer. Oh, gosh, she's a spiritual teacher, a professional speaker, and she offers wisdom from a new perspective, and, you know, if you read the description of my show, you know that I believe in detaching with love. I believe that a lot of times what you have to do when you're fraught with a lot of shame, guilt, sadness, anger, is that you need to detach from it or detach from the person that's bringing that to you. And Leah has an unusual but authentic Life Skill Series for Personal Growth and Transformation. And she's been there. I mean, this is uh, based on her own profound healing. She wrote a book, and the book is called The Fearless Path. It's a radical awakening to emotional healing and inner peace. And you know that I bring you people that I believe have ideas, uh, recovery skills, life skills, that will help you to manage your life. And Leah is one of those people. She talks about spiritual mapping, how to find peace and happiness, how to deal with post-traumatic stress. And, you know, she talks about the differences between men and women and why it's especially hard for men to be able to discuss their emotions. So I'm real excited to be interviewing her. Uh, I think she has a a wealth of information to share with us. And like I said, it's not necessarily what I would profess, but at the same time, what I know to be true is there are a lot of theories, a lot of life skills, a lot of models, a lot of mapping out there that will help you. And so this is an experience where she says, hey, Carol, i got to tell you, letting a Letting go may be the worst advice for moving on for healing. I'm always talking about letting go, so I cannot wait to interview her. She also says, hey, detachment is a big buzzword. But she believes that it may be the wrong influence for emotional health. And 
And in emotional health, she says that's different than mental health. So, again, I look forward to her wisdom, and I I can't wait to hear what she has to say. Now, you know this is the show about sexual addiction. It's about trauma. It's about partner trauma. And whether you're an addict or a partner, whether you've had trauma or you've created trauma and drama, this is the show for you. And I was talking with a client the other day, and he said, Carol, I have ADD, and I love your show, but it's too long. I have the time span for six to eight minutes max. Can you do something about that? Now, i got to tell you, there was a part of me that went, no, get over it, learn how to focus for an hour. And then there was another part of me that said, you know, he is symbolic of, of society. Many of you know that when they make movies and television series, they do it in seven-second increments because they know that people no longer have the attention span they had 30 years ago. And so I just want to tell you, I I believe that when you say it, when you name it, when you write it, you claim it. And I've got a vacation coming up, and I'm going to find out how I can do my show and then do one, two, or three different sound bites for those of you that have attention deficit and can't hang in there for the entire show. Now, what I told him is the same thing that I would tell you. Get on my YouTube channel. I've got two of them. One is Sex Help with Carol the Coach, and that's a YouTube channel specifically designed for sex addicts and partners. Then my other one is Carol the Coach, and you can find me under Carol Jurgensen Sheets or Carol Sheets, and that gives you life skills that are, um, in general, based for good emotional mental health. Hey, Leah, how do you like how I combine that together, emotional and mental health? Uh, And I think you'll find that, you know, those segments are 6, 8, 10, at the most 12 minutes long. So if you've got an attention span problem, those are the bullets to recovery skills and, you know, thoughts for life. Most of you know I'm a mental health therapist and I'm a life coach. And so my job is to educate you and teach you skills that you can apply to your life. For instance, tonight I was talking to my group And they were all going around and they were talking about life skills that they find particularly helpful in recovery. You may know what they are. They're things like let go and let God, one day at a time, Uh, the wisdom to change yourself, keep it simple. Now, those are all recovery sayings that I truly believe in. And I do believe they're a way to help you cope. Somebody who's afraid that maybe uh, they and uh, you know he and his wife aren't going to stay together. I say stay in the moment, concentrate on you, and focus on what you can do to improve your coping skills. Okay, so now that's what I do. But tonight I talked to them about the law of attraction. And the law of attraction means that what you appreciate, appreciates. So if you have a lot of anxiety, fear, anger, and you focus on that, you're going to get more of it. And then I shared with my guys, and you know, this is a great group of guys, my sexual addiction group. I said, for instance, I was told by a major insurance plan that they were going to audit me. If I, um, There were actually some codes that I was charging for, and they didn't like them. They said, 
we're more than likely going to audit you. We're going to let you know that. Okay, well, gosh, I've never been involved in an audit. I'm an excellent counselor, and I thought, okay, I better take a look at my charts. And so I was fine-tuning them, and I don't mean that I was changing them, but I was um, filing them differently. I was categorizing them differently. I actually had to get up at 4 o'clock five days a week. Actually, sometimes it was seven. It started mid-May of last year, and I said, by the time it's my vacation, which was the third week in July, I'm going to have all these charts done because, gosh, I have probably 400 charts that are open and active at all times. Well, I took action, but before I took action, I said to myself, you know, you're operating under fear, Carol. You're afraid that you're going to get audited, that something's not going to be right, you might get fined, or they may cancel you. I mean, you know, the basic things that happen to a person. And I said, what can you do to change that? You believe in the law of attraction, so you need to be more positive. And I I said to myself, okay, here's what I want to do. I'm going to create a file called Help and Understanding. And I'm going to put their letters that they've sent me in that file. I'd already talked to them. They actually were very nice. Uh, They didn't threaten me, but they just informed me that they were going to potentially audit me at any point. And then I came up, like I said, with this action plan. I was going to go through every one of my open files. Now, I get up at 5, so getting up at 4 was not that big of a deal, but it was. I mean... Who wants to get up at 4 in the morning to surveil their own work? But I knew that I needed to do it to feel confident and also to make some needed changes. I ended up affixing my file differently. I ended up putting some things down. They had given me some good advice about, okay, not only do you have to write down how things are going, you have to write down what progress has been made. I didn't have that on my chart now. So I created a new chart note, and I started adding that in. And, you know, I just tried to do the next right thing. And that is something we talk about in recovery all the time. But more importantly, I shifted my attitude. Instead of being fearful, I said, you know what? I'm going to believe that I'm going to learn something from this, and I'm going to create a better system, and it's all going to be good, and I can be done in six to eight weeks. Well, the truth of the matter was I started, like I said, mid-May, and I ended before July. And actually, it was the third week in July that I had created my deadline, so I ended three weeks early. And you know what? It didn't kill me to get to bed a little bit earlier, and it didn't kill me to get up an hour earlier and devote that time specifically to my action plan. I actually devoted two hours. So um, two hours for about five weeks. It was a lot of time. It was a lot of energy. It was a lot of coordination. But it was easy because I was in that mindset and I was going to improve the way I did things. So now, here we are a year later. My charts are rocking. Um, They never contacted me. They must have been okay with what I did because they never contacted me. And I just feel better about what I did and, you know, what I know to be true is I appreciated the fact that I was going to learn something, be proactive, create an action plan, and make it happen. Now let's talk about you for a second. Whether you're an addict or a partner, you are 100% responsible for deciding how you're going to take something in. Maybe you feel a lot of shame and guilt because your partner is reeling. They're a mess. They are in so much pain. And you are reassuring them. You're loving them. You're, you're doing the next right thing. And you can't believe that you're watching them deteriorate because of your actions. Well, stick with it. You know, sometimes it takes the brain three to five years to get healthy. 
stay with it and know you're doing the next right thing. And if you're a partner, I want you to know that you too can feel very anxious. Maybe you have post-traumatic stress or complex post-traumatic stress, post-traumatic stress, but I'm promising you that nobody should rock your world to the point where you can't trust yourself. Maybe you can't trust him or her, but you can trust yourself. And that's important when you're being a partner because you never want to give somebody the power to make you feel anything. Now, come on, we're only human. We're going to feel some anxiety. I told you, I felt some anxiety. But what I know to be true is I took that anxiety and I decided that I was going to shift it. And when you shift it, you make it work. And that's what counts. I mean, definitely, you have to decide that you are going to make a conscious choice as to how you interpret life, what you do to make your life better and just feel better. And when you empower yourself like that, It gives you a lot of strength to know that you don't have to be a victim anymore. You can actually feel empowered by whatever has happened to you and grow stronger. And that is what I really love about The Fearless Path by Leah Guy. It is a radical awakening to emotional healing and inner peace. So, Leah, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. Yes. Now, tell me, what made you decide to write this book that teaches people a lot of concepts that um, are new and different in today's world? Well, I've um, I've been working with clients for over 22 years now, and what I started to recognize was that although we all have a lot of different experiences and stories and issues in our life, that we all suffer similarly. And I was seeing through the people that I was working with and my own experience of getting help through my traumas in the past that uh, the advice and a lot of the therapies that people were seeking out were not helping them. And not to say that my way is better, but just that for some people, um, I think that they're really taking a, a wrong approach and that there's a quicker route and an easier route. But it in, involves, you know, some some diving into our stuff. So I wrote the book um, just as a as a guide, as a kind of really hopefully a simple guide where people can see their symptoms and the physical symptoms and emotional symptoms and see what that's relating to within their psyche and their emotional body and their spiritual body and their energy field and start to put pieces back together again. Um, that's where my book is quite different than a lot of different books and therapies out there. Well, absolutely. I mean, you talk about the difference between emotional health and mental health. So can you tell yeah. our listeners what you believe is different about those two things? Well, the mental, our mental um, health is very important. And um, luckily, it's getting more attention, you know, as time goes forward. However, it's getting kind of all of the attention. People are attributing um, many different symptoms that have more to do with the emotional body and the spiritual body, in my estimation, and they're attributing these, um, you know, issues to the mind, such as, I mean, it can be small issues like insomnia, but by and large, anxiety and um, phobias and fear and OCD and so forth. And it, while it's true that we can definitely work with our mind to seek relief and treat imbalances and chemistry and so forth, what's also true that's not getting enough attention is that the mind um, communicates with our other bodies, our emotional bodies and our physical bodies and spiritual self to translate what's going on. And so there's a lot of, um, I, I believe, misinterpretation or misdirection of treatment of just attending to mental health instead of also including the emotional health. Um, even physical health, you know, we, we talk about stress and a lot of times we think that that's mental stress, uh, you know, stress from a job, stress from um, 
family issue, uh, stress from finances or, I mean, all the different things that cause stress. But what stress is really doing, too, it's also taking a toll on our emotional health. And that's where we um, need more attention and it, it doesn't get enough it doesn't get enough airtime, if you ask me. <laughs> so that's why I'm trying to bring some light to that topic. Well, absolutely. And I gotta tell you, I mean, obviously you have some coping skills that are different than the recovery world or the mental health world. You say letting go may be the worst advice for moving on or for healing. So explain what mm-hmm. you mean by that. Well, um, letting go sounds like a very, uh, it sounds very freeing. Doesn't it sound free to just let go? And it, it mm-hmm. seems like that, that would just, <laughs> it seems like that would just answer all our problems. But the reality is, is that um, it's kind of a, like a goose chase. It's kind of like a cat chasing its tail. There's not, um, it's not really possible to just let go of our stuff, especially talking emotionally. Now, mentally, we can work to decrease, you know, repetitive thoughts and that kind of thing and, you know, move away from some of the negative thinking. However, the negative thinking is also assigned to us, as is every other symptom that we encounter. So the way I like to work with people is instead of the idea of letting go, it's the idea of connection, And the connection doesn't mean that we're going to just get back into our problems and live there and be forever hurt, you know, by the symptoms of fear, heartache, pain, et cetera. But what it does is when we, when we stay connected to the reality of what is, we, we maintain a wholeness of ourselves. And this is where it goes um, sideways for a lot of people. In other words, you have a pain, you have a, an issue. And our instinct or our mind is telling us, our ego is saying, run, get away from that. The mind always wants to keep you out of danger. But emotional danger is different than physical danger. And the mind is um, basically telling you the same information for emotional or physical danger. Now, we don't necessarily want to put ourselves in a dangerous situation. But if you've been emotionally hurt, for example, um, that is a reality. It has happened. It is part of your experience. It is part of your history. It is part of you. And so all the attempts of letting go, in other words, denying the truth, um, lying about to yourself about how you feel about what happened, trying to forget an experience, all those things lead to detachment, and ultimately it leads to detachment of self. And now this is where, as we become more detached from ourselves, from our soul, from our psyche, and from our ego, now we start having problems of anxiety, fears, OCD, phobias, disconnection, dissociation, um, you know, all kinds of things start happening in our, in our reality now. And it's because we're not fully participating in our reality. So the book is filled with um, ways, emotional workouts is what I call them, but ways that we can stay connected without being constantly triggered. How can we stay connected to the reality of what is and let it be part of us because that is our wholeness without being constantly triggered and reacting, but instead responding to life from a, from a place of strength. And in fact, we become stronger because we have such wholeness. We have such experience. And that's what, that's what helps us grow. And that's what strengthens our inner our core, our, our self, you know, and so it's a different approach, but for me and for the many people I work with, it is an approach that, that works. Oh, absolutely. And then I get what you're saying there. You're really saying that obviously letting go may in some way um, separate you from who you really are, and how you feel. And so it's important to pay attention to, you know, what's going on inside of you in that energy field and really work hard at listening to that, not necessarily yeah. letting go. So well, now detachment is like the buzzword among spiritual yeah. groups. Why do you think this is the wrong influence for emotional health and to achieve happiness? 
Well, a similar reason. You know, I liken it to especially spiritual seekers and people that are on a self-care path. You know, we many of us um, believe and talk about the oneness and the universe, and we're all connected and all things are one and there's a divine plan and, you know, a single drop creates a wave and that whole theory, you know. And so it doesn't even make sense. If you think about it like that, it doesn't even make sense, uh, the idea of detachment within that theory. So you can't have it both ways. That's essentially saying, you know, I'm connected to all things. We're all one, except hold on a second. I want to go over here and cut out this part, this part, this part, because that doesn't feel good, (laughs) you know, and, and that's just not realistic. And the whole idea is that people are trying to escape suffering. And until we recognize that suffering is necessary and it's part of our experience and it's part of our um, teaching, then we're always going to be trying to run away from it because uh, we don't like pain. But um, I, I, I believe me, I, you know, I'm not one just sitting here spouting at the mouth. I've had a great deal of pain in my life and traumas, and um, I know that it's not pleasant, and nor do I want to repeat them. On the other hand, um, me trying to run away from them and ignore and deny the experience and the feelings that those situations have evoked keep me further from myself. And it is only when I'm able to own and uh, connect with and use the energy that I've um, accumulated from all of those experiences that I am strong. Otherwise, I'm weak. I'm defensive. I'm detached. And I'm weak. And that does not create um, any kind of willpower, determination, uh, a purpose-driven life or anything. You know, it's very hard to go to step forward into the dreams that you want when you're detached from yourself, when you're detached from five years of your life, when you have memory issues from an experience that happened, you know, when you're running away from um, a a, a memory of a loved one who hurt you. So, um, you know, it's, it's key to me, it's key stuff. You know, it's, it's, um, it's the way of, healing it's it, wholeness is healing wholeness is not fragmentation no and, and in a lot of ways i mean obviously you had some issues you had been through some trauma did you figure this out in doing your own kind of analysis of what you needed or was it in working with people that you figured it out you know it was both um my own healing has been profound in my life, and I think for those that have known me, they've seen that same, you know, quality. Um, but I, I would probably venture to say that more so working with people and that I can – well, it, but it is connected. I mean, I can only work with people because I have empathy and experience from my own history, Yet it's it's much easier to gain a perspective, you know, when you're looking from the outside in than when you're in the middle of a storm. So definitely from clients and and even in large groups, you know, um, seeing and connecting with people. And like I said, you know, noticing that um, although their stories are very, very different, their experience of suffering is very similar and it, and in the book, I really break it down to seven ways that we suffer, you know, seven main ways that we um, show our um, our pain and where that comes from. Because if a person's dealing with, for example, um, well, you know, we'll use the heart because that's a common one. If they're dealing with heartache and pain from a a parent that they can never get attention or love from. Most people are trying to detach, disconnect, and block the person from their life, you know. And I agree, you know, we don't need to keep toxic people in our life. However, we do need to stay connected to the positive emotions that we feel for that person and that's what becomes very difficult because again we believe that we don't want to suffer or have pain and that we shouldn't and so unfortunately love brings with it pain oftentimes either during the love process or at the end of the love cycle and um, to recognize that that although this person hurt me and yet I still have love for them and yet I still experience this feeling 
I grew like this because of them. I was cared for that, by that person in this way. And to acknowledge those things and keep our heart open and connected is a very courageous thing to do. And it's a very healing thing to do. It doesn't mean we need to engage with a, an abusive person or a narcissist or someone that's, you know, um, toxic or harmful to us. But we do need to recognize and hold true what is real for us. And, again, it's that reality that helps us um, evolve spiritually and also heal emotionally. Oh, 100%. And, you know, again, you have experienced major trauma. So it's not like you have um, you're, you're creating this theory without having had the trauma yourself. Mm. Now, explain to me what is post-traumatic emotional disorder and who do you believe has it? Well, you know, I think all of us have it to some degree. Um, Post-traumatic emotional disorder is similar to PTSD, but not everyone has PTSD. And, you know, post-traumatic stress syndrome or disorder is um, mostly from shock major catastrophes, um, traumas that are like we, we often think of war victims and that kind of thing, or people who've lost their homes in a fire or had some major abusive situation. Not everyone has PTSD, but I think more and more um, we are seeing symptoms of PTED, uh, post-traumatic emotional disorder. And that would be more along the lines of, um, you know, regular um, emotional distress, stresses and disturbances such as feeling bullied or shamed or embarrassed about some aspect of who we are or growing up with a parent that didn't give us what we need or, um, you know, feeling abandoned or self-worth issues and so forth. All these things that we all experience, you know, from time to time. But what happens is is that in that myths, um we don't have the the tools. We haven't been taught. And so we have a misunderstanding of our reality, of our experience from a few weeks ago or from our early childhood or whenever it's from. And these unresolved emotions start creating stresses in the body. And I can't tell you how many people walk into my healing center and, you know, just ask, what do you have for anxiety or what do you have for psoriasis or I can't stop my thoughts or what's going on. And, and I get it, you know, we all want to be relieved in the moment from an uncomfortable sensation. But the real question is, is what's going on in there? You know, what's been going on in you for a few weeks, for a few months, for a few years? And, um, and again, without therapizing it and without going back and reliving it all, how can we find it, touch it, accept it, and sit with it, just be with it. And that being with it is part of the acceptance and part of that wholeness that I'm speaking of is once you can be with something without it triggering you all the time, then mm-hmm. you start mending, you know, you start mending and then you start becoming stronger because uh, you're not fragmented anymore or disconnected. So so that's what PTED is. And I do believe that most of us have it. There was, there's a few of us that really were, you know, raised in an environment that we were able to process our emotions and and deal with things. and But, you know, that's almost impossible to do. So it's nobody's fault. It's just the condition, you know, it's just the condition. We are much more focused and taught about our physical bodies, about our mind, about, you know, what's right and wrong, judgment, ego, that kind of thing, and very much less taught about um our emotional integrity, emotional intelligence, and health. Yeah, I would 100% agree. And, and again, you really do a nice job in your book, The Fearless Path, uh, of helping people to accept what has, they've experienced and then move beyond it by um, asking, hey, you know, what do I need to do to get stronger? How can this really work for me? It's a radical awakening to emotional healing and inner peace. And and obviously, you've been working with clients for a long time, and you knew that you needed to help them to understand their energy. 
And so you mm-hmm. talk about something which a lot of my clients have probably heard of, the chakra. And what is the truth about the chakras, and how do you believe they affect one's health? Well, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I wanted to introduce it in the book because it is becoming more um, popular and talked about in all circles, actually. Um, the chakras are essentially they're the, the energy vortexes around your energy field. So we are energy, just like everything has an energy to it. We have energy to us. And energy, like all things that move, have patterns of movement. And so, you know, we've kind of broken it down, especially in the West here. We we pretty much look at the seven main chakras, although there's, you know, over 100 minor chakras around your body. But we look at the main seven. And I, I do this as part of my practice because it gives me information. And basically what the chakras um, can tell us is how we've been um, operating and patterning our health. In other words, there, each chakra kind of uh, coordinates with a different physical part of ourself, emotional part, and then energy, you know, spiritual part. So we can see in the, in the way that the energy moves, you know, for example, if you are ungrounded, let's say, if you have a lot of fear, if you feel like you don't belong here, um, some people feel very distant from their families, from themselves, they don't know what they're doing. And frankly, you know, some people really have a sensation of not wanting to be, you know, human. I mean, it can go that deep for people, um, you know. And so what we'll see is a kind of a blocked or stagnant energy in that root chakra. And and what we also see is the root chakra, you know, it governs kind of the lower aspects of our of our body, our legs, our feet, our um, pelvis, pelvic area, um, our hips and down and so forth. So we might see physical signs of dis-ease in that, those areas. Uh, but certainly we'll see a person who feels very flighty, um, who probably feels nervous, um, who probably has trouble focusing and achieving things, you know, on a day-to-day basis and that kind of thing, simply because they're ungrounded. Now, if I work with them on the root chakra, you know, as a healer, I can help balance that energy um, there. However, it really takes ongoing work. And that's why in the book I recommend, you know, different meditations, crystals, tools, um, you know, uh, sounds, colors, and so forth, because it, it takes a little focus and work, you know, to change the pattern. And a lot of it's going to come with intentionality. The more we, you know, accept and are aware, then the more we have the information and we can start focusing our energy on that area. So there's nothing, you know, really that mysterious about chakras. And and also I do want to point out, you know, a lot of people are just going to get chakra healing. That's not going to change your life. It's It's one part. I use it as part of holistic healing. Holistic healing is about the mind, body, and the spirit. And that energy field, you know, kind of lives in both the, in between the body and the spirit, and it's just a tool. Um, so I don't want people to get overly fixated on it and think that, you know, like it's a fad diet, like it's, it's like it's a fad, you know, spirit fix or something. Um, but it, it gives us signals and gives us information, and we want to stay energetically open, fluid, um, you know, in harmony so that our energy is balanced and that our our feet are connecting with our head, meaning our higher consciousness is, you know, in communication with our day-to-day, you know, grind, what we're doing here, and hopefully we're finding our purpose and living through our heart. And all that requires open, uh, fluid energy. And so, again, obviously you really work on spiritual healing as well as the mental and emotional um, coping skills and life skills that can take people to that next level. First of all, obviously they need to read your book, The Fearless Path. Mm-hmm. But secondly, how can they find out more information about you? About me? Um, mm-hmm. Well, I have I have a website called Modern Sage, or just my name, Leah Guy, L-E-A-H-G-U-Y. And, um, you know, on the website, there's videos, there's a meditation CD that kind of corresponds with the book. And I'm regularly doing a lot of writing for other people's websites. And um, I'm doing a course for the Daily Om currently and different things like that. Um, But we'll be 
teaching more this fall online, hopefully with uh, some webinars and tutorials and things. But Modern Sage is the website. And there we also have products. Um, I developed a line of chakra oils, for example, to help just be another tool. Again, it's not a heal-all, but it's another tool to help balance our energy and balance our emotional wellness. Okay, and so, again, give us the um, listing of your website. ModernSage.com. And, you know, it's so important when you are doing spiritual work to have all those additional tools. So your chakra oils do what? Well, they're um, blends of essential oils. They're particularly blended to help balance each chakra themselves. But you can also wear them like perfume. But um, really, to have effect, you wear, you put them on two or three times a day, if not four times a day. And you put them on directly around the chakra area itself and on your pulse points. And we know essential oils are like flower medicine. And so um, they get the oils um, go into your bloodstream. They actually change your body blood chemistry for up to three hours. They've been tested to stay in your body. So that's why we want to reapply often. And just like all things, you know, what's going on physically goes on energetically, and what goes on energetically will, will eventually show up in the physical body. So we want to harmonize and um, just add a little support. So, for example, we were just talking about the root chakra. My root chakra oil has some heavier base notes of essential oils, and you can rub them on the bottom of your feet, rub them at the bo- base of your spine, your lower back, near your groin area, and also on your wrists and your neck. Um, we want to smell the smells because our olfactory senses have a good deal of play in our intentionality and getting the oils into our bloodstream regularly, it starts to help pull that energy into a balance in that area. So they're quite lovely, um, if I do say so myself, but also effective, but subtle. You know, all everything is, you know, people want quick, drastic shifts, but that's not the way life works. It's like we don't grow, go from being two years old to 90 years old overnight. And there's a reason for that. We wouldn't understand it. We can't uh, manage that kind of radical shift. But the radical shift that we can ma- manage is that courage to show up to day to day, work with the process, work with our um, self-care and pay attention and stay mindful and use all the tools that we have and then very soon we will see uh, changes in our energy and our, the way we feel our emotional state and our mind. Oh, absolutely. Now let me ask you, obviously there are a lot of different um, tools that you use to help people to deal with post-traumatic stress, or as you call it, post-emotional stress. Um, Help me to understand what is spiritual mapping and how can Hmm. people use it in their daily lives to find peace and happiness? Sure. Um, Spiritual mapping is another tool that I created. I use it more frequently in my workshops, I would say, but you can certainly do it on your own, and I I guided a couple of the, the maps in the book. It's really a way to have a higher perspective of your life. And in in that higher perspective, what it does for us is it takes away the blame and the, you know, finger pointing, even if we don't really feel like we're blaming anybody or situation, and gets us reconnected with the choices that we've made so that we have a better understanding of our healing and where we need some attention. So I use an example in the book. Um, I think I was talking about uh, loneliness. So you would create a a diagram, essentially, and you put your heart in one area and you put loneliness in the other area, or like loneliness in a relationship, I think was the example I used. And so between the heart and the loneliness in your relationship, you start creating tracks or like a map, uh, you know, stops on the map. And it requires us to be very honest with ourselves. So it's you know, it's not for someone that wants to skate around their truth, but we really have to be honest with ourselves and look from our point of loneliness, and you can go either direction, back to the heart or from the heart to the loneliness, and start making um, some notes on the significant points 
such as, um, you know, I'm, I'm with someone who works all the time. So I feel lonely because I'm with someone that works all the time. And then below that might be, um, you know, maybe I'm skipping a few points here, but I've, you know, I choose people that are unavailable. And then below that might be, you know, I don't feel worthy of someone's time or energy. So I choose someone that feels, you know, that's unavailable, that someone that works all the time and I feel lonely. And then you go before that and maybe it is, um, um, I, but I like a lot of alone time to myself. And then below that is um, I need love and affection and attention. So at this point, you can, might see that the shift between what's true is I need love and attention, but I also like time alone to I don't feel worthy. There's a place in there where I have probably made a decision to keep me stuck somehow, to keep me in the position of um, uh, victim or in a position that I'm not happy with because to do something different will require a different action and growth on my part. So it's really a way of self-reflection instead of, you know, beating up on my spouse that I'm not, um, that they work too much or they're not available or whatever the situation is. I go deeper than that to, to the point where I chose that person to match some belief in me. And that's where I need to work because in my heart, my heart knows I need and I want love and attention and affection. But then the self-worth thing comes up, you see, and then when so that self-worth just, thing um, comes up. Let's mm-hmm. talk, because my show's for sex addicts and partners of trauma, when, when mm-hmm. you fall in love with a sex addict, let's talk from the partner aspect right now. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you've got somebody who absolutely didn't see it coming, their relationship started out really strong, and whether the sex addict became compulsive or he just did a great job, he or she, but we'll say he, did a great job of kind of hiding that aspect of himself, mm-hmm. how would spiritual mapping apply to a partner? Well, it's hard. You know, we can never do someone else's work for them. So, um, however, we can, yeah, we can work with our own um, choices and where we're making the choices in conjunction with someone else's uh, pattern or habit or addiction or what have you. And that's where it does get, you know, really sticky, if you will, because what seems to be perhaps a choice that we're making for us, um, especially if we're dealing with codependency or addiction, we're often... Um, empathetic or energetically kind of, um, you know, building off of our partner or mate situation as well. And um, so we can easily believe or, or, or suggest that it is the other that has, uh, that's either keeping us in our pattern or creating a problem against our pattern, habit, or addiction. But in the mapping process, the point is to really get, um, see where the break is. For example, that's what I mean when I said, you know, between the heart and the problem, between the heart and the addiction, between the heart and the relationship, between the heart and the job or what have you, there was a point where we um, made a decision based on our pain instead of our love and compassion. And at that point where we make the decision based on our pain, that's kind of like the uh, threshold or the uh, boundary from which we need to start our healing process again or start, you know, continue from there. Because before that, we're in integrity of our heart and our mind and so forth. And then when we make that decision based on our pain, we're either in fear, we're in addiction, we're in codependency, we're in, you know, uh, low self-worth, we're in blame, we're in all that kind of place. And then we start on a trajectory in our life where everything's about that instead of about our integrity, our compassion, our love, our empathy, and our higher purpose. And so it's helpful, but you really have to be almost guided, I think, for people that are really in a, um addictive kind of pattern, you know. And we can do that for each other. You don't need me or, you know, a therapist necessarily. We can do it for each other, but it's, it is really about um, – having, you know, someone to keep us uh, in alignment with what's really going on aside from what we 
want to believe is going on. Okay, and so now let's flip it over to the addicts because obviously the addict either had a lot of trauma early on in their childhood that they reenacted in their adulthood or mm-hmm. they got involved in something that became habitual and then they couldn't stop and then that brought about shame and then they felt bad about each other. So when you're working with people with addictions, mm-hmm. what would you would them to do well I mean you said the word I think a lot of it is attributed to the shame I've worked with some addicts that have been kicked out of every other therapist's office you know that they've been to and they obviously feel rejected and dejected from uh, family friends co-workers and ultimately from themselves so uh, the way that I I work is really um it's. I don't know if this is going to make sense, but if anyone listening uses like homeopathic medicine, instead mm-hmm. of fighting it, you know, that we allow it. And in the allowance, is then we get to the softening of it. We get down to the to the heart of it and down into that shame aspect of it. Because it typically is um, a shame-based third chakra kind of um twisted knot that goes on and there feels like there's no escape besides to treat it you know to numb it to hide it to um, make it high and free it that way otherwise the pain and that twist and that knot is so deep it's intolerable so um, not not to say that it's always third chakra stuff and shame but I would say more often than not, the people that I've worked with, that's how it's shown up. If it's not there, then it's often guilt, which is in the second chakra. And, um, you know, feeling overly responsible for other people's experience. And we get so um, tied into that and almost addicted to that that, um, element of trying to um, alleviate other people's pain and suffering and the world's even, which is impossible, that we feel um, incapable of of any kind of control for ourselves or for another. And that kind of lack of control, again, leads us to um, lack of control. So I think that the uh, um, the acceptance and the softness and dealing with, you know, and I'm not, saying softness and acceptance like oh everything's just okay but to open to get to a place of openness and and safety there has to be some of that um that compassion and softness relating to shame and guilt um so i start there you know i start there and and almost like homeopathically working uh around it meaning that that uh, any any addiction any addicted person still has the elements of of thriving and dreams and connection and soul and purpose and love and all of these things in them they are still that as well and so sometimes they need to be reconnected with that to even wake up enough to see the other to see the pain to see the shame the guilt and so forth so, you know, it's it's obviously different for a lot of people. but um, And then I'm a huge proponent of physical balancing, in, in particular with addiction. I think it's an underrated element of our health and wellness, meaning that there is a great deal of evidence, support, and um, studies about basic uh, chemistry and balance with the physical body, meaning proteins, sugar balance, um, you know, uh, allergens, fat saturation in the brain and satiation in the body and so forth. And for me, getting off of even cigarettes and alcohol and food addiction and all that kind of thing, the, the number one way that worked for me was really honing in and getting physically balanced first. Because if you're not there, then it's hard to deal with some of these deeper emotional issues. You know, if we're constantly swinging, um, regardless of addiction, if we're just constantly swinging inside of ourselves from 
um, either lethargy or hyperactivity or, you know, mood swings or sugar cravings or what have you, it's, it's really difficult to get grounded and have a foundation to work on some of the deeper things. Well, I absolutely agree. And for our listening audience, we're talking to Leah Guy. She wrote The Fearless Path, A Radical Awakening to Emotional Healing and Inner Peace. And she is not just, um, she isn't just advising you. She, too, has had her own trauma. And, and you know, Leah, you've been through a lot of trauma, including rape. What advice mm-hmm. do you have for someone who is trying to get back to health and to thrive in relationships? when they were totally betrayed, when they had lots of trauma, and they're probably in fear and anxiety. Yeah. Well, again, um, getting rooted and grounded, balanced physically, number one. Secondly, what I think the best thing that I ever did for myself was getting, um, and, and I know not everyone's going to go to school, which I went to a school, but um, getting with people that can that you can allow to touch you safely, meaning energy work is a fantastic way to start because they don't even really touch you most of the time. Massage, right. uh, re- reflexology, even, you know, with shiatsu, cool body work is amazing to release stored trauma and also to recondition the mind and the body of memory. And we want to not replace, because, again, that would be detaching from. We want to reestablish uh, the healthy, uh, you know, the healthy interaction with touch, with energy, with humanness, with our own feelings and so forth. And so that can take a while. But I would say, aside from that, uh, getting grounded and getting into an environment where you can be safely touched that, um, you know, to really do some work on the, um, on guilt. I, I, so many people that have had trauma and abuse, even if it comes out of the left field, even if it has nothing to do with your family, your coworkers, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or someone, a neighbor or anything, if it comes completely out of left field, we are left feeling like it's our fault. There's something wrong with us that we did something. It could be the way you were dressed or that you were out too late or that you, it doesn't matter. There's a million things. And even if there was nothing, there's still a feeling of that shame and guilt that is so huge. And that, you know, not ironically, is part of that second chakra, that lower belly, the the reproductive organs, that creativity center in our being. So um, for me, expression, whether it's creativity or otherwise, talking, Writing, painting, biking, swimming, dancing, uh, feeling, getting back into the sensation of feeling and allowing movement of that kind of energy is very healing. It moves the guilt through our body and out and creates a healthy environment. And again, physically, taking care of um, you know, our immune system, our colon health, our, um, how we digest food and and um, elimination and so forth, making sure that we are open and as and slow as we can. The, these qualities will help our emotional bodies also stay in process and not get stuck and tightened up and in that knot that we were talking about earlier from, you know, young age shame and so forth. So all of it's equally important, but for me, it was about physical, you know, getting into my physicality, uh, getting my hands dirty, getting into my body, allowing safe people to touch me, and starting to learn the more subtle aspects of energy and touch and, um, and, and allowing my creativity to express itself. These are very healing things to do for our psyche and for our sensual bodies. Oh, great point. Well, I so appreciate your wisdom and helping create that radical awakening to emotional healing. For our listening audience, again, again, we were talking to Leah Kai, and she wrote The Fearless Path. And so, Leah, I wish you the best of luck. I can't wait to hear about your new book. You Thank obviously you. have a purpose and a passion, and you're really kind of shedding a light that not everybody gets to hear. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been great to talk to you.
You too, and have a great week. Thanks. Uh-huh. All right. Well, so that was Leah Guy. She wrote The Fearless Path. You can get her book on Amazon. And you can go to her website, too. It's easy to just Google it and find out. You know, clearly, we always want to work with people that have new and exciting ideas. And, you know, she's obviously an energy worker, but she's also, what I heard tonight was she is not into victimization. She is into empowerment. And that's where we come from when we're working with addicts and their partners. So, okay, I will see you next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach. And as I say at the end of every show, hey, there's only going to be one of you, so fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. We'll talk to you soon. Have a great week.